and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, we'll hear how friends of the Upper Delaware River have organized an effort managing knotweed in three test sites in our community. Terry Grant provides Hungry Goats, Project Coordinator Steve Schwartz hopes to inform you, and Jessica Newburn lends support from the National Park Service. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country, here on Radio Catskill. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News, I'm Barbara Klein. Negotiations over an infrastructure package are expected to extend beyond this weekend, even though President Biden had said he wanted to see progress between the two sides by Memorial Day. NPR's Mara Eliasson has the latest. The two sides are still far apart. The president has shaved his original $2.2 trillion infrastructure bill down to $1.7 trillion of new spending. The Republicans have offered about $928 billion, mostly of repurposed funds from COVID relief programs or money that's already been appropriated. The two sides are also far apart on how to pay for infrastructure. The White House and Democrats want to raise taxes on corporations and individuals making over $400,000 a year. The Republicans want to rely on user fees and adding to the deficit. Still, both sides are reluctant to be seen as the ones who broke off Bipartisan Talks. Mara Liason, NPR News. As of today, all businesses in Massachusetts are allowed to open at 100% capacity. All gathering limits in the state are lifted, as are most distancing and mask mandates for vaccinated residents. Mark Hers of member station GBH reports Massachusetts Republican governor says unless something odd happens, the state's COVID crisis is over. As Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker rescinded restrictions that had been in place for more than a year, he declared COVID was on the run in the state. Concerning the behavior of unvaccinated residents, Baker said the state government would not be involved directly. We said all along that we're not going to require vaccine cards, passports, whatever your term is. But we have anticipated that there will be organizations that will want people to demonstrate they've been vaccinated. Massachusetts has one of the highest COVID-19 vaccination rates in the country, with two-thirds of its residents having had at least one dose and more than half being fully vaccinated. For NPR News, I'm Mark Herz in Boston. Vietnam's health minister says a new hybrid variant of the coronavirus has been detected in the country. The BBC's Celia Hatton reports it's a combination of those first identified in India and Britain, and it's spreading quickly. Vietnam has been praised for using travel restrictions and long quarantine periods to keep COVID-19 at bay during most of the pandemic. Just 47 people have died from the virus there so far. However, there's been a new surge in cases, with more than half of Vietnam's total number of confirmed cases surfacing in the past month. 
Almost 3,600 people have tested positive for the virus across half of Vietnam's provinces since late April. This is NPR. Support comes from Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections, with showrooms at Lake Wallen Popic, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farming Country. Coming up on our show today, we'll hear how friends of the Upper Delaware River have organized an effort managing knotweed in three test sites in our community. Project coordinator Steve Schwartz and Jessica Newburn from the National Park Service hope to inform you by inviting you to their demonstration events. First up is friendly goat keeper Terry Grant. Thank you for joining us for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. down the knotweed pretty good. They like this multiflora rose just as good though, so they're Ooh. eating that before they ate the Hello knotweed. babies, you're beautiful. You can see the stumps there where they, yeah. they prefer the, the tender tips rather than the, the tougher. For WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr at the site of the Skinner's Falls River Access. I'm here actually to interview Steve Schwartz, but he said if you get there early, there may be goats. <laughs> I got here early, and there are four goats and a gentleman that's eager to tell me about them. Tell me your name. Terry Grant. Okay, and Terry, tell me a little bit about your background. I'm retired out of Toby Hammond Army Depot. I live down on the Pennsylvania side near Western Wayne High School. I've had goats for about 20 years and getting to know them, you know, how to deal with them because they're not as simple as most people think they are. I've uh, erected a electrified fence all the way around the uh, test plot for the goats uh, to keep them in so they don't get over into the pesticide areas or the uh, other areas and to protect them from, uh, let's say, coyotes or uh, dogs or something like that that might hurt them as well. What you're talking about is a test site of knotweed, and that's why I'm going to be speaking with Steve Schwartz, who's knowledgeable about knotweed. So we're actually at a test site here where one of the management tools used to help manage this invasive plant are grazing goats. So <laughs> tell me if there's a certain variety here. Okay, there's uh, two varieties. The ones with the brown head and white, they're called boars, and they're raised for meat. And the um, white male, he is part uh, Nubian, which is a milk variety. His mother was a, a, we still have his mother, she's a milker. And you can tell by the great big long ears he has. They don't bite, they like people, they love people. The little guy there, he'll jump up on you and want to be petted as often as you pet him. They do like the knotweed. They're eating it right down to the ground, and we're hoping that maybe they can get rid of some of this because it just grows up so thick you can't even see the river. It's just real nice to eliminate it in certain areas. Mm -hmm. 
Are you renting these goats out for this project? Renting isn't exactly the right word, but I am being paid to bring the goats up and let them eat the knotweed a couple of times each month for the all through the summer. And uh, not only this place here at Skinner's Falls, but up in Deposit, New York as well. And as I understand it, right in Hancock, New York, they're going to have a, a demonstration day that I'm supposed to bring the, the goats up for that. There's two of the ones in June and one, I think, is in July on a Saturday. Describe this fence. Goats can be quite active and frisky. What kind of fence are they sitting behind? It's made by a company called Premier One, and they have actually provided a little bit of uh, free samples for me for some things. It's a metal wire along all the um, strings. It's a mesh fence, and it's electrified. You can see I have a, a fencer over there, and it uh, electrifies it. It protects the goats from uh, dogs or whatever reason, and it keeps them in. They're very smart animals, and if they can figure out a way in or out, uh, they will but they respect the electric. They get zapped once or twice and they leave it alone. Like most of the time, I don't think I'll even have to electrify it, but I am going home in a little while and I want to make sure it was electrified while I was gone. Okay, well we see probably, I don't know, 75 feet to the river, maybe 100. It's all knotweed and are you just going to leave them here and then they graze on their own or you move them around? They just have the one plot, and I've uh, fenced in the entire plot. Uh, they can come and go as they please. I'll put some water down there to try to get them to move around a little bit. But they like to be where people are, so they're up here right next to us. If I go down next to the river, they probably would follow us down there. And I really didn't want to spend all day sitting here babysitting goats, so I'm going to leave them on their own, at least till I'll come back up tonight and pick them up and take them home. Okay, well, thank you for taking the time to explain to me part of this project. I mean, they're beautiful animals. They look so healthy. That's Katie, Lucian, and Missy. And Missy's an, uh, <laughs> a nickname. It's Miserable was her first name. <laughs> she was terrible at first. I bought uh, t two of them from the 4-H show at the uh, Wayne County Fair, uh, young uh, 4-H'ers that are uh, enterprising and, and I really wanted to support them. We knew them and uh, so I bought uh, both of their goats. And though there's four of them. What is the other name? Uh, that one is a meat goat and it's uh, this year's baby and it's going to be in the freezer. So they don't get names when they, they're, they're planned. Uh, it's <laughs> understandable eating. because it's easier to let go of them. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, thank you once again, and we'll see you soon at other projects. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you. Bye-bye. Just before the COVID-19 pandemic forced us into lockdown in early March 2020, Terry Grant attended a lecture at the Wayne County Library, known as Food for Thought. Speaker... Steve Schwartz inspired Terry to get his goats involved in this project. Fast forward to winter 2021, I was inspired by an informative Zoom lecture hosted by the Friends of the Upper Delaware River, also known as Futter. Here is Steve Schwartz, who will speak about this knotweed management project that will hopefully inspire your participation. Hi, Steve. Please introduce yourself and tell us, the audience, a bit about yourself. 
Hi, Rosie. So I'm Steve Schwartz. I live on the Upper Delaware in Stockport. And uh, for 15 years, I've managed knotweed on my property. And I kept thinking, maybe we can find a way to get other people to manage knotweed on their property. So when I'm not collecting ramps or running the Upper Delaware BioBlitz or any of the other things I do, I uh, have been putting together a project to show different management techniques for knotweed that landowners can learn from and choose something that they can do on their property. Part of the project is research and part of the project is demonstration sites and today we're at the Skinner's Falls demonstration site. Many folks in our area know that it's overgrown in much of our area and knotweed has become a problem. As we can see right now, knotweed emerges in May. Uh, some folks harvest the young, tasty shoots for a delicacy. It does reach its full height in June, and by late summer, plants bloom with white flowers, and many feel those are beneficial to bees. I know there are some useful aspects of this plant, but perhaps they don't outweigh the damage. There's a lot of erosion problems, and it reduces plant diversity. Exactly. When we think about knotweed, it wasn't here in the scale it is like 40 years ago, and now it's taken over vast stretches of the floodplain, entire islands, and where, where it's established, the soils aren't held in place and will erode into the river, changing the river's structure and impacting all the aquatic species. So managing it to try to limit its spread and the propagation of seeds and just trying to control it some would be very beneficial for the river. You're part of a team to study knotweed, so give us a brief description of this uh, study. I know that there's three types of knotweed. Do we have all three growing in the Delaware watershed? Yes, we have all three types in the Delaware. Um, we're just downstream from Coshecton, where we know that there's a stand of giant knotweed, and giant knotweed will hybridize with Japanese knotweed to form bohemian knotweed, which we think a good proportion of the knotweed that we see is actually the hybrid because it shows tremendous vigor as a new species. Why is it so vigorous? How does it spread? A knotweed will spread both by seeds animals and flooding and other things will distribute the seeds and then it also will spread underground by the rhizomes the roots and if there's a flood or earth disturbance construction fill dumped uh, if there's any little fragment of the root in that it will also establish so after the floods we see knotweed spreading to places we've never seen it before your project has about three locations. You want to describe the locations? I mean, we're here at Skinner's Falls, and most people are aware of Skinner's Falls. They've either been at the campground, Lander's Campground, or on the Skinner's Falls Bridge that's currently closed to vehicle traffic. Uh, but this area is very common. People, they get on their rafts and go down the Skinner's Falls. So tell us about this site in particular. I understand there's four management plots. So Skinner's Falls is owned by the New York State DEC, but it's managed by the Park Service as a river access site. There's a nice parking lot here and some facilities, and uh, people come from all over to 
get onto the river. And uh, for many years, it's been hard to even see the river from the parking lot because of the knotweed. And to get down to the river through the path, you have to go through a tunnel of knotweed. So what we're doing here is this is our largest demonstration site. We've divided it up into many plots, and each plot will be managed in a different way. Right now, we're staring at the goats, which are here to eat knotweed, and it looks like they're doing a really good job. They seem to like their knotweed. They'll be here regularly throughout the season. Uh, we think every two to four weeks, they'll need to be here to, uh, to make a dent in the knotweed. And uh, another management method that we're demonstrating is covering. So tomorrow, a crew is going to come in and cut down all the knotweed and other debris, and cover it with a geotextile membrane that's being donated by Owens Corning and that was fabricated to our specs by a company called EPI. And so that'll be laid out and then uh, staked down and ballasted. That's the second method. One method is the one I use, which is repeated mechanical cutting. And we'll be in here you know, every two to four weeks cutting it with weed whackers through the season. And then the other two are methods of using herbicides to manage knotweed. One method is more traditional, which is cutting it in, say, June, and then eight weeks later, spraying it with a form of herbicide being done by a professional crew under permit to the DEC. The other technique is much more targeted, and in that technique, herbicide is injected directly into each knotweed stalk. So there's no by-spray, there's no other effect of it. It goes directly into the stalk and down into the roots and is highly effective, but is also much more expensive and labor-intensive. That is also being done under a DEC permit by a professional crew. Okay, you mentioned DEC, and that's a protective agency for the river, but is there any environmental activism opposing the spray or inoculation using herbicides? Some people have asked about that as a technique. That is, when state agencies attack thing, invasives like knotweed, that is often their preferred method of doing it because it's effective. They don't have to come back year after year to deal with it um, if it's done right. And that is the professional way to do it. We don't think it's necessarily the right way for homeowners, but we want to demonstrate it so that to let people make their choice and we are highly recommending that everybody do things like uh, use of herbicide under professional supervision with the permits in place. You're going to have a demonstration during the summer at each of the sites. If you have the calendar in front of you, you can give dates. And also, let's talk about how this project can benefit the community. How can interested listeners participate in this study? At each of the sites, the Skinner's Falls site, and then we have a similar site up in Deposit at Riverside Park in Deposit, and another site that will be a one-day demonstration site in Hancock. At each of the sites, we're holding events. So the first one is at Skinner's Falls on Saturday, June 5th in the afternoon. And everyone's welcome to come and meet the goats and see the professionals dealing with the knotweed and see the progress to date and learn a little bit more about knotweed and its management. The Hancock 
program will be June 19th, also a Saturday, and the deposit program will be in July, on July 17th, also a Saturday in the afternoon. That's one way to learn. There will be signage at each of the sites, and uh, we'll have a flyer that people can take to uh, get the information and take home or go to the website. Another way that would be really helpful is that on the website, which is fudder, F-U-D-R dot org slash notweed, there is a link to a site called IMAP Invasives, where people can identify knotweed on their own properties and express whether or not they're managing it. And that'll give us another sense of the distribution of knotweed and who's doing what. And, uh, of course, we are always looking for volunteers to come out and help with the events and also help with things like the mechanical cutting, which we'll be doing on a volunteer basis throughout the year. I know that you've been working on this project for years. Yes, it's great to have some volunteers, but you must have a lot of support because it's very organized now, and necessarily so because it's an important project. So the basic funding for this project comes through NIFWIF from the Delaware Watershed Conservation Fund, which is congressionally appropriated money uh, that Futter made an application to back in 2019 and was successfully awarded a large sum of money for the project. But that's a funding source that requires a one-to-one match. So there are many other organizations and individuals and companies that have contributed to the project. Uh, The National Park Service has contributed substantial funds to the project. Each of the partners involved, the research partners and the other partners, have donated in-kind services. Uh, Owens Corning has donated the geotextile membrane, and uh, EPI has donated the fabrication of it. Our local Keshectin mill delivered the membrane that was offloaded from the truck yesterday by their big heavy forklift equipment and brought it to the site. So they're a partner as well. The New York League of Conservation Voters has been helping out with designing flyers and signage and doing the outreach. They're just a whole slew of partners for the project. The membrane, what do you plan to do with it? Is it a tarp, a heavy-duty tarp? It's a heavy-duty tarp that is specifically designed for industrial or commercial uses, for land management, for pond linings, for disposal sites, and we think it it will be a perfect thing to cover knotweed. It's it's like a heavy-duty tarp. So the plant won't get the nutrients from the sun? The plant will be smothered from both water and sun and air, and it's heavy enough that they won't be able to penetrate it. And it has a useful life of eight years, and so it will take a few years of being in place to really eradicate the knotweed. But uh, we think it'll be successful. I know a little bit about rhizomes. Just the fact that the top is covered, do the roots keep traveling underneath? Yeah, so even when you cover it or do any of these methods, you have to be aware that if you eradicate it in one place, they may be sending out roots to surrounding areas, and you need to be on top of that. The uh, membrane may successfully eradicate 100% of the knotweed under the membrane, but it will continue to try to survive and find other places to come up. So uh, we'll have to extend the uh, management in whatever way surrounding the membrane. 
Well, I came here a little bit early and I met the gentleman that is responsible for these goats. They really are beautiful animals and they do eat knotweed. Yeah, he had trialed them on some knotweed to see if they liked it. And uh, and the what we had read about goats and knotweed were, was that it was, in fact, uh, something that goats liked, um, that it was nutritious for them and that they would target it. So uh, we're watching them eat it right now. Jessica Newburn from the National Park Service has just joined our conversation here at Skinner's Falls, and I think she's loving the goats the way I am. They're beautiful to look at. Um, now, the National Park Service is very much involved in this project, and it's good because the community needs to learn about this. There's people complain about it. They feel like they're savvy about the uses of knotweed, but this is a project that's very necessary, and so... What would you like to say from the Park Service? I think that I agree with you. It, it is also an overwhelming issue for a lot of people because, I mean, even when I come here, I'm pretty overwhelmed looking at it. It'll just at least give people options and they'll know what they can do and which one works best and what they feel best about doing on their own properties. I'm hoping the best for all of the projects here. The first one will be, I think we said June 5th right here at Skinner's Falls on the Coshecton side, the New York side of the Skinner's Falls Bridge, right uh, just uh, almost at the site, between the site of Lander's Campground and the Skinner's Falls itself. You come and meet the goats. And Lou's Tubes is right here, yes. Bill and Lou Lothians are the, the gracious hosts of Lou's Tubes, so when you see their property... You'll see the goats and the knotweed and the bridge and the falls. <laughs> and they've been a big supporter of the project, too. Yes, their property is rimmed with knotweed, so it's in their benefit, like for many communities in the upper Delaware River. Let's see if we can get these goats to greet us. Watch out, the fence is electrified. Yes, so I understand. For their, for their benefit to stay back. Well, you can see all the stalks they've chewed down, too. Goats are used for invasive plant management all over the country, but it's mostly in more suburban or urban areas. Um, DEC employs them to eat stuff on the dams for some of the reservoirs, for the watershed. The uh, New York City has used them to eat invasives on hillsides in Staten Island. Up here, it's not a common practice. Up until the last 20, 30 years ago, when dairy was still an industry, there was a lot of grazing on these riparian meadows. And when there was grazing, it was keeping all of the uh, vegetation down, you know, and uh, keeping the invasives out. And now that there's really no longer grazing, there is none of that management that's taking place. Grazing of cattle um, by a river is not necessarily a great thing to do because it can degrade the bank. But if it's managed well, it can also have co-benefits of keeping invasives down and other stuff you don't want to see there. The local farmers have observed horse nettle proliferating throughout the region, which they don't want in their fields. And, uh, and part of that is because there's no longer grazing. Thank you both for taking the time to speak with us, Jessica and uh, Steve. Thank you for this work, and uh, I hope the audience looks forward to joining your projects and three sites to learn. There's a lot of people complain about knotweed. Now here's their chance to learn about it. Give us the website again where they get all this information. So the central place for 
on the web for information about the Knotweed Project is www.fudder.org slash knotweed, K-N-O-T-W-E-E-D. As we progress, we will be seeing more and more information there. At the sites, there will be signage that will give you some information. And the first event will be Saturday, June 5th at Skinner's Falls. So come in the afternoon, meet the goats, and see how we're dealing with knotweed. The sites are open all the time, so come here anytime you want just to see it on your own. And feel free to send us emails if you have any questions. Hope that you enjoyed this week's special edition of Farm and Country, produced by a Radio Catskill volunteer. Special thanks goes to community members Terry Grant, Steve Schwartz, and Jessica Newburn from the National Park Service. And to Futter, Friends of the Upper Delaware River, for their work on managing knotweed in our community. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening to Farm and Country on WJFF Radio Catskill. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008 proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org Hey, it's Francis Lamb. This week, we go deep into your kitchen drawers. We talk to a bladesmith who makes knives for superheroes. We learn about a man who made himself into a legend selling vegetable peelers. And we hear from America's Test Kitchen about all the secret second uses.